to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Hey! It's Album Nerds Podcast. <laughs> I'm Dude, or Fonz. I've got Andy and Don with me. How you guys doing? You ready to talk about some albums? You know I am, brother. Sure hope this episode doesn't uh, jump any sharks, man. Hey, I was hoping there for a reference. Nice. I was thinking the A was, uh, what's his name? Was it Nick uh, on Family Ties? What was Mallory's boyfriend's oh. name? Oh, yeah, it was Nick. Just Don, always with the deep cuts, man. <laughs> Wasn't it sort of like an A? But it was kind of like that. Like an AO, maybe? That's Tony Danza on Who's the Boss, right? AO, OA. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We could talk catchphrases all day. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Yeah, man. We could we could do sit on it, potty. We could say wah, wah, wah. But that's not what we're going to do. We're going to talk about albums here on the show. We're going to be answering a question. We're going to spin the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we're going to talk about next time. But this week, we're talking about 120 minutes. That's what I'm talking about. 120 Minutes is a television program in the United States dedicated to alternative music that originally aired on MTV from 1986 to 2000, and then it aired on MTV's uh, other channel, MTV2, from 2001 to 2003, and then a, a similar but separate MTV Classic program, also titled 120 Minutes, played many of the classic alternative videos. Uh, and in 2001, 120 Minutes returned to MTV2 with uh, host Matt Pinfield. Uh, but today, each of us will present an album which includes uh, at least one song that was featured on 120 Minutes. Well, that's a much more storied history than I had originally anticipated. But even at the time, like in the 90s in particular, it was an iconic show because they would play videos of bands you didn't typically see during the daily regular program. And basically, if you were a band with a bunch of dudes with long hair and you didn't play metal, you were uh, featured on 120 <laughs> Minutes. So, yeah, all right. So help me understand a little bit, guys. Is it like just underground music or could it be certain genres only, like rock? and? No, I mean, it was essentially not hip-hop, not pop. Not metal. Not yeah. metal. And okay. Anything else? Yeah, pretty much anything else. I mean, electronic type stuff, simple acoustic alternative stuff. I mean, you had bands like Depeche Mode on there. You had bands like Nirvana before they broke, Pearl Jam before they broke, Husker Du, Violent Femmes, so punk, all sorts of different stuff, just the things they weren't playing regularly, you know? Yeah, the ones I had on my list here that I was considering, I guess... Sonic Youth was had quite a few appearances or videos on there. One guy we were talking about a little bit on the Discord, Frank Black, in the, in the mid to late 90s, was pretty popular on there, apparently. And the one group in the 2000s who I really loved, and someday we'll get to talk about LCD Sound System, kind of like a, like a punk rock dance group, really fun stuff. But what were you excited to talk about, Don? Well, I mean, this, one's, this one was a... You know, this is pretty easy for me just because everything in my collection in the 90s was basically stuff I heard on 120 Minutes or college radio. So, you know, obviously The Cure and Depeche Mode and all that stuff. Um, I thought about maybe talking about the Pixies or The The, but 
I, I went with my pick um, just because I, I wasn't sure if I'd ever have an opportunity to, to talk about that artist uh, again. Yeah, I, I I kept leaning towards, oh, I see Allison Chains is on the list that was um, one night on 120 Minutes. Like, that's kind of cheating a little bit. So I, I, I bridged the gap of a, a band that had one big hit, but they, they spent a lot of time on 120 Minutes for like 10 months before they had a hit with, with different singles they were trying to release. There's a great website, 120minutes.org. Look up your favorite artist. You can find when they were on, what date, what, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is kind of cool. Uh, so wanted to shout that out. With all that being said, <laughs> let's get to the albums. You choo-choo choose me? This singer, Francine, Jim James, has the most angelic voice. He makes Enya sound like a Russian couple arguing at the podium. <laughs> All right, so for my 120-minute selection here, going back to the year 2005, talking about the band My Morning Jacket and their album simply entitled Z. Let's play a little bit from the lead single off the record. This is the fourth studio album for the five piece from Louisville, Kentucky. I think this particular record marks a change in their sound. Um, a little bit more spacey, a little more synth heavy than previous records. Had a couple band members change since their previous album, which was also pretty popular. And they were starting to kind of break through from that underground scene a little bit at this time. I think this was a record that kind of, at least for me, pushed them over the edge. My three words to describe this album are feel-good space guitars. Uh, it is super spacey, and I, I love that that side of rock. And occasionally we get to talk about an album that, that fits that style. I think this is one of the better ones. Uh, the Jim James voice just like fits perfectly into that kind of wash <laughs> style mix. The guitars are awesome. The lyrics, I think, are especially a standout, especially on this, out, this record in particular. Uh, he has a really good sense of humor, and you just kind of like appreciate his awkwardness, especially when like I was just graduating college at this time. And you know, things are still a little bit awkward in your early to mid twenties, and I could really relate to some of the sentiments he's getting across on this album here. I, I never heard this album before. Seriously, we've talked about my morning jacket. Yeah, I have. Uh, it still moves. The album from two thousand three. Yeah. I really liked it, but I just never kind of followed up with. I was like, "Hey, this is pretty cool and and echoey," <laughs> you know. <laughs> There's a lot um, of reverb, yeah. a lot of reverb, and I think I just kind of lost track. And then they became a big thing, and then a few years later was Circuitol, I think it was, mm -hmm. and they became a big deal, kind of like a hipster thing to yeah. be into and i was like oh I, I have the one from 2003 on cd <laughs> <laughs> does that count for something i'm cool right all right why don't we play a cut here from the middle of the record it's a really trippy song and this, this is really a song that sold me on this record the first time i heard it this is uh into the woods yeah i really enjoy that that track I guess because like 99% of, you know, pop music is in 4-4 four, four time. You know, I appreciate it when, when you have like a, that 3-4 or waltz, um, rhythm or, or whatever. So that's, that stands out to me. Actually, I think the, the lyrics hint at, uh, masturbation. He said, yeah. he mentions, uh, <laughs> <Pretty sure. laughs> uh, I think a, a good shower head in my right hand or something. 
Um, so, of course, I appreciate and relate to that. I, I think that might have been to get nice and clean after the circus-like Walty trip through the woods. Yeah. <laughs> He's just scrubbing himself down. The right. Yeah, just trying to wash off the day. <laughs> so, uh, the, the three words I, I chose to describe the album were, uh, Stan was right. And so, that's a reference to the, the clip we played at the beginning of, of American Dad, where the main character, Stan Smith, kind of falls in love with my morning jacket. And yeah, I mean, I, I love this record. Uh, in fact, I, you know, I was kind of, I was finding it hard to come up with things to talk about just because, you know, there, there's like nothing to criticize. It, I really enjoy everything uh, uh, about it. It's smart. Um, it's hooky, um, but it's also a bit eclectic and it's got that, that psychedelic thing that I relate to. I won't mention the band it re- uh, reminds me of. <laughs> I was going to say, Don, there's, there is a tie-in with the, yeah. the producer here. Has some, oh, oh, that's right. Some roots in a particular band we won't mention. So, Don, every every pet you've ever had, every vehicle you've owned, you name them after a Pink Floyd member or reference? <laughs> is that true? No, but I... I, I like a goldfish <laughs> named Darkseid or oh, something? That's, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering how deep this goes. So, like, I know Andy's a, a fan. So, Don, are you like a fan of this band, or you know what? They've always been on my radar. Like, I've known that it would be something uh, I would like. But I think by the time I heard about them, they were already kind of well established. Like, they probably already had four or five albums. And I guess I didn't want to put in the effort of like catching up with them. Oh, Donald, <laughs> here I am. So I, I love this album, and you know, I'm gonna start uh, exploring more. Yeah, I, I would say, Don, like, their their sound has changed a lot over the years. There's definitely a few phases to their growth, I guess. Even after this record, it, it does change up quite a bit more. So the later stuff is is also good, but it's different, and it's not quite as, as spacey and as psychedelic as the earlier things that they were doing. But yeah, if you like this record, listen to the one before it, too. I think, I think you'll be happy. All right, so let's play one more cut from this record. This is the opening track, Wordless Chorus. There's a little bit of that wordless chorus. It's just... uh, I dug this song. It's the first song on the record. And it also is echoey and felt like a transition from what was to to what will be there on, on this particular album where they kind of ditched all the echoes, got a little spacier, and I felt like this was a, a gentle landing. Like, oh, come on in. I, uh, what I also liked about the song is I got the feeling that it was about songwriting and the music business a little bit. Some of the, the lyrics, uh, so much going on these days, forget about instinct, it's not what pays. you know. And then having no chorus, I think it was kind of like a, we, we can be innovators in this space we don't have to follow the rules right right totally yeah i think they were dealing with kind of their stardom or the idea they might become a little more popular than they expected to be there's a few tracks on here that that fit into that same theme so i i guess i i wasn't sure how to categorize this in three words i went with lazy sunday groove because this is an album that i could just sink into on a nice soft weekend you know it's not it's not workout music it's not high energy to get yourself boosted for something but it 
there's like you're just kind of taking this this ride floating on a cloud and i think that was the intention yeah funny you should say that because uh rolling stone voted this the 23rd greatest stoner album of all time <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely an album you can just, like you said, just kind of sink into or get absorbed by uh, and just float with for a while. And I think it works great for that purpose. Um, there's enough depth to it to keep you coming back and keep you engaged. Um, but the melodies are, are pretty catchy and the songs are not as long as they have been in, in their previous albums. Things move along pretty quickly. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a pleasure to listen to every time. There's nothing bad i could say about it well with that in mind uh i think it's my fave my morning jacket record and probably my fave of of this decade or this time in music at least um so i'm gonna nominate it for the eight halves here try again after getting shot down last week my morning jacket z don cast your votes yeah i i mean i guess like other records from you know from this century um i mean it's not exactly like it's i mean it's not exactly like a groundbreaking album or, or anything but it's but it you know it's just perfect though you know i mean it's just you know again i, I can't really find anything you know negative to say about it so um so i'll, I'll vote yes all right i think that it is groundbreaking in that this band was doing something different and they managed to get widespread mainstream success for a period where they were the it guys and it was it was they got there through honesty and just doing what they wanted to do it wasn't like a they didn't cook up this oh we'll we'll do this psychedelic thing and then we'll get rich i don't think that was what they thought was going to happen so i definitely say yes what it up congratulations to mr james and the entire my morning jacket crew and congratulations to andy because you didn't get shot down this time son <laughs> back on track boys yeah you read the room you read the room right this time <laughs> All right, so once again, the record is My Morning Jacket, Z. Check it out if you haven't heard it. Some good videos, too. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. It's question time. So, 120 minutes, MTV, iconic uh, uh, virtual place to go for young people throughout the 80s and 90s in particular. So, uh, what's your favorite MTV moment? Some shows, some memories, some videos, something that uh, really impacted you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit in the dark here. Uh, didn't have MTV growing up. Watched it a little bit at friends' houses in the 90s, but it really wasn't until the 2000s that I got to really sit down and watch it. Uh, so my memories are terrible. I apologize. <laughs> I think I remember most was seeing like real worlds on probably yeah. the early 2000s in someone's dorm room and like trying to get my head around like why people were just watching people sitting in a room arguing with each other like, this right. on TV. <laughs> it was pretty dramatic was, by then and I, I think real world may have been one of the first like reality I think shows. so yeah that's, that's I remember how my friend pitching it to me was like this is a new thing I, I liked the first season of it in 92. I, I, yeah, me too. That was before they gave them fake jobs and stuff. Yeah. They were, <laughs> wow, so it had been on for a while. Yeah, Holy yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Julie and Kevin having a heated argument. Oh, my gosh. Julie and Kevin. I was all about Andre. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he had a band called Rain Dance that I was into. Didn't you meet him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw, I saw the band. Really? 
Wow. Yeah. Cool. I did not ask about the real world. <laughs> <laughs> so were there bands part of the real world show? Was that the part of the program or was that just a... In this particular case, that was just his vocation. I mean, a oh, lot okay. of times a, a, mem- a cast member maybe is an aspiring rapper. I think Heather was on that first yeah, season. Word. Okay. Uh, let's hear some actual memories about cool things that are worth talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's my favorite memory, but probably one of my earliest memories was seeing the the Jay Giles band video, uh, Freeze Frame. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they're, it's just a bunch of guys basically squirting paint on each other. And, you know, as a (laughs) – sounds sort of homoerotic, I guess, but uh, (laughs) – But, uh, you know, at age six or whatever I was, um, you know – It was just about the paint. Yeah, Yeah. it was. um, But that, you know, that – uh, freeze frame album, that's the the first, like, full-length record I ever bought. Because of that video? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I have I have a lot of things like uh, driving. I didn't have cable growing up either, so driving to my friend's house when I was in college to go watch Lenny Kravitz Unplugged, you know that kind of stuff. The Unplugged series was a big deal, but the my favorite memory is probably uh, I was a little kid and Michael Jackson was you know all over the place with the videos, and I only got to see Friday Night videos on NBC, and they didn't show like the full thing of Thriller and. Uh, one night we dropped my sister off at my cousin's house to have a sleepover thing and then went back to my grandparents' house and had spaghetti and on came Thriller. And we're calling my aunt to be like, turn on MTV Thrillers on. And, and my grandpa made fun of Michael Jackson and uh, he he passed away shortly after that, maybe a month or two after that. So that's one of my last memories oh. of him is uh, making fun of Michael Jackson, which I treasure now. <laughs> so. He was ahead of the curve. That was the the moment, you know, that that's when MTV blew up when uh, Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince were at their height. So Yeah. Yeah. So what about you folks? What's your favorite MTV moment or MTV adjacent? We'll take anything. Let us know on albumnerds.com slash discord. We are the guys from Eurasia. Mishers Vincent Clark and Andy Bell. Okay, uh, my album uh, from 120 Minutes uh, is from uh, Erasure, although I hear a lot of English people pronounce it Erasure, but we'll go with er- Erasure. Uh, I think it's Abrasur. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so this is their fifth studio album uh, released in October 1991 called Chorus. The title track uh, was featured on uh, 120 Minutes multiple times, so let's hear some of that. So Erasure are a uh, English synth-pop duo uh, formed in London in 1985, consisting of vocalist and songwriter Andy Bell, along with uh, songwriter, producer, and keyboardist uh, Vince Clark, uh, who was also a co-founder of, of Depeche Mode, and Yazoo, uh, who are known as Yaz in the United States for uh, for legal reasons. Was uh, Alison Moyet or yes. something their singer? Yep. Okay, yeah, that's it. The, the three words I, I chose to, to describe the album were analog synth pop wonderland not coincidentally wonderland is the title of their first album 
<laughs> so, you know, for somebody who's a fan of synth pop, I don't know a hell of a lot about the actual production of these these records and read a long uh, article, uh, you know, where Vince Clark was describing, you know, why digital synthesizers and sequencers at the time were were not right. Uh, but anyway, this this album is all uh, analog synths in a, you know, a traditional sequencer. It's uh I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> er, oh, you know, <laughs> Erasure is you know it's it's pure pop, right? You know, all their their records uh, up up to this point, or their first three records were you know really just focusing on the vocals and the rhythms, and then with their their fourth album, Wild, uh, and then this one, you know, there's there's a little more room for instrumentation. You know, there's room to breathe. Uh, you know, there's longer instrumental parts and stuff. And I, I feel like it creates more of a, a dreamy atmosphere. A lot of the lyrics sort of are, are fairy tale-ish. And the, the vocals are also, you know, very share-like. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I was going to say theatrical. Yeah. <laughs> sure, well, So I have a question, Don. Like, this music, I don't know what people do. Like, what are you supposed to do with this for a whole album? I mean, is is this what you put on when you you and your buddies are spraying paint all over each other? <laughs> um, well, I I think the beauty of it is that I mean, it could be something that you that you dance to or kind of groove to, but also you know I I think it has you know value yeah, when you're just kind of listening and and chilling you know because I think there's I think there's more to it than just you know a, a simple dance rhythm. Uh, anyway, well, let's uh, let's hear a little more. This is a track called Joan. So, Don, that song was the only one that stuck in my head, you know, after listening to this album a bunch of times. That's that's sometimes the uh, the deciding factor on like what what we might talk about on the show in my mind, like what song sticks to the ribs a little bit is is it about like is that a reference to Joan of Arc like a young girl who doesn't care about what she's supposed to do and is doing what she thinks she should do is that yeah that I I assumed that the the Joan um you know was a reference to, to Joan of Arc there seems to be like a weird English fascination with with Joan of Arc OMD <laughs> has like five songs about Joan of Arc um so. And the, my other question is like, where do I? I know this from somewhere, like a movie or a show. Like I swear to God, I, I knew this song at, beforehand, and I've never purposely listened to Erasure. Yeah, the the chorus is very very familiar. I I thought that with a few of their songs, like I know, I know I've heard this, but it doesn't sound quite maybe in a commercial. Right. I don't know, maybe. I don't but know. yeah, I, I did like that song for the you know for the most part. You know, and I'll sum it up with with my three words. Um, New wave disco, like it's new wavy, it's disco-ish, lilting vocals. It didn't grab me at any moments. It does. It didn't like for a, for a dancey record. It, it didn't elicit that feeling in me. Like it didn't make me wanna shake it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little surprised by that. Maybe uh, you know. I feel like the the track will play now. Love to hate you. You know that's that's one I think that should. Make you want to shake it. <laughs> we can only hope. Here comes the rump shaker. There we go. Well, but they, they stole like I Will Survive there or oh, something, yeah. right? Yeah. 
That's, that's cheating. That's very disco. <laughs> I mean, to me, for my money. Uh, yeah, I like that song the most. That's, uh, that's the one that stuck with me. I think it's probably the most dancey song, would you say, Don, on the record? And pro- really the most, like, typical erasure song. Yeah. Oh, okay. Word. There were a handful of songs that I did enjoy, and I found myself humming along to. I think for me, where it didn't work as well were the the more quieter contemplative moments that I didn't think sonically there was enough going on to keep me engaged. There were a few moments here and there where they switched things up and they maybe introduced a, a sound I wasn't expecting that I thought was interesting, but just was not enough of that to really stick with me enough to make a big impact on me, especially when you consider like this time period is so rich in this style of music. I mentioned like Depeche Mode and some of the other bands that they've been associated with that I think are just maybe, maybe this isn't the album, the Erasure album for me. But yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know. I'm a little middle of the road on it overall. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it, it's another one that's, that's kind of hard to talk about. Yeah. I do kind of think about them as sort of like an eighties ABBA, you know, I mean, they're, their songs are, you know, generally pretty, pretty simple. You know, this, this album was, uh, you know, it showed some growth for them. I, I think, you know, I, I do think it's sonically more interesting than, than some of their, their previous albums. Uh, and I think as, as a whole, I think it's their, their best album. I do find it weird. Uh, I guess I always found it kind of weird that they would, at least in the United States, they were kind of marketed, you know, with, with the alternative scene when really, I mean, there's nothing <laughs> alternative about this because it's just, yeah, it's just pure pop. Well, yeah, but it was, it was alternative in that I think it, um, pop at the time was pointed in a very sp- specific direction. And we're talking like New Kids on the Block and Debbie Gibson and Belinda Carlisle and stuff. You know, there was, this doesn't fit into that. Like, there is more about their image, I think, that doesn't fit. Like, they didn't have the style of Depeche Mode and the, the cool, like, swagger thing. So I think it's like, where do these guys go? And I think anything that didn't go was alternative. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it is sort of like a comfort album to me. I don't listen to Erasure all that much anymore. But when I do, um, you know, this is one of the albums I go to. And, um, you know, I, I remember it fondly. And this is actually, um, even though the synth pop is really thought of as an 80s genre, I, I would say the peak of it is right around this time period from like 89 through 91. Because uh, you have in 89, you have New Order Technique. Then in 90, you have Depeche Mode Violator and Pet Shop Boys Behavior. Uh, and then this album. And I think that's, you know, those are like my four favorite synth pop records ever. Okay, so that was Erasure with Chorus. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Are you a music fan? Join the discussion on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord. Tell us what you like, what you dislike, and suggest topics for the Wheel of Musical Destiny. Oh, good morning, JR. Ah, good morning, good morning. Uh, who we got in the studio today? Uh, Studio B, Blind Melon Chillin'. Blind Melon Chillin'. Blind Melon that new chillin'. British rock group? Oh, no, JR. So, Blind Melon is going to be my pick today. Self-titled debut album from September of 1992. Unique name could have been from that uh, Cheech and Chong sketch or potentially one of the band members' dads used to call hippies Blind Melons. So, uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, Blind Melon uh, formed in 1990. And uh, they were Shannon Hoon on vocals, Brad Smith on bass, 
Roger Stevens and Christopher Thorne on guitar and Glenn Graham on drums. Uh, they were on 120 Minutes over 30 times, from what I can tell. Uh, the hit song No Rain is what they're most known for. But why don't we start off by uh, listening to the song Change. So that song Change uh, was the song that got me to fall in love with this record back in the day. I had friends that were huge fans and actually followed the band around. Uh, I only saw them a couple times, but uh, I have loved this album for many, many years. I don't listen to it as often as I used to, but uh, that song Change, I always come back to. It was the first song that Shannon Hoon ever wrote, uh, the lead singer there. And uh, it's, you know, about rolling with it you know sometimes life is hard you have to pick yourself up and change uh it's about depression and and uh waking up every day trying to realize your dreams you know so the album itself just feels good uh, let me describe it for you in three words i went with jammy southern alternative now it's jammy it's not a jam band there aren't 20 minute meandering guitar solos which personally i don't want to hear on a record <laughs> but uh there is that vibe there's that feeling and it does sound a little bit like southern rock with an alternative twist i love shannon's voice the scratchiness of it um and i appreciate the the guitar work the composition and the songs are just kind of um lyrics that are examine the up and downs, ups and downs of everyday life. And they were really good at that. And the songs sort of are celebratory with the jammy moments and the guitar interplay. And it's, uh, I think it's more than, than, than no rain. Uh, there's more to it. And I don't know, um, if a lot of people have heard this whole album before guys what were your thoughts on this i just want a general consensus on blind melon i have some thoughts i <laughs> i like the band i like them in general i'm down with their vibe i think they're good especially good guitar players the album as a whole i'm a little bit mixed on i find it getting a little bit dull as it goes as it carries on but i do like a lot of it that's my overview <laughs> Done. Yeah, I, um, I, I remember, you know, dude, you know, used to listen to this, uh, record quite a bit. And I probably, you know, downplayed at the time the extent to which I, I liked it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I do like this record a, a lot. And I, I think there is, you know, some, some magic here with, with this band. And I think it's a shame that, you know, that their creative life was, was cut short. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should probably touch on that a little bit. So after this album, uh, they did release another one in 1995 called Soup. And while they're on tour supporting that album, uh, Shannon Hoon, Richard Shannon Hoon, his full name, uh, did die uh, from a drug overdose. Unfortunately, that's always sad when, uh, when that cuts a life so short it just kind of uh, stopped everything in its tracks. The band did eventually find a new singer, Travis Warren. They did record an album and they tour occasionally now, but uh, it was a shame and uh, they were making some magic on that note. Why don't we get back to the album and check out the track tones of home. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's one of the songs that really worked for me. I'm surprised to see that was the, the first single off this album. Um, yeah, it's a good it's a good one. I think the the A side in particular really has a lot of a lot of sharp tracks on it. Uh, so my three words are loosen up, honeybee. I wish this was more jammy. I know you just said the opposite of that, dude. Uh, I I'd be okay with it being more jammy in retrospect. Now at the time, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the time, I don't think it was really invoked. I mean, they kind of like it feels like they have kind of a template for how to make a good rock folk record here and they're trying to stick to it and they do and a lot of times it works well uh shannon's vocals man is i mean there's times where he sounds almost exactly like janice joplin which is like a huge compliment i think and but there's other times on there where i think he feels a little disinterested and and kind of gets lost in the in the mix of things uh, especially later on on the record yeah i guess i guess for me it feels like the band is just kind of being held back by the the format which is you know not uncommon and i wish there were maybe just one or two more songs that stretched out a little bit like the last song on here does but it feels like they're just trying to jam so hard and never really let let it happen and i'm sure if i saw them live it'd be a different different story but yeah uh, what did you think of the production i mean so rick parashar was the he's the producer and and they did um the initial recording and songwriting at a place called sleepy house in north carolina and then they finished up in seattle rick parashar had also uh done pearl jam 10 i think it's just this time period in music i don't know if a different producer would have produced something drastically different or not but it sounds good like you can hear all the instruments clearly i think it's more just that that song format like it's hampered down i don't know if it's exactly production specifically. Yeah, it seems kind of like that that sort of Rick Rubin approach where I, I think the band, you know, very much wanted it to be more just like a, a raw, natural sounding um, sounding record. Um, you know, so there aren't, you know, a lot of studio tricks or, or anything. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think the production's perfect. Well, uh, why don't we close this out with the final track from the album called Time, which as Andy alluded to, does get a little jammier. So the, the three words I chose to uh, describe the album were uh, dazzling dual guitars. <laughs> so getting back to the to the production, one of the studio tricks they they did uh, incorporate was was splitting the the two guitars. You know, so I, I guess Stevens um, is in the left channel and Thorne is in the right, or or vice versa. I mean, I, I often think it's cheesy to have like the instruments separated. Like if you listen to like the old Beatles stereo recordings and stuff, you know, you got the vocals in the left channel or whatever. It's just I don't know. I, I don't love that, but I, I thought it really worked well for for this record, particularly listening to headphones. I was just really taken by the the two guitars. I, I think it stands out from a, a lot of other rock at the time um, because I think a lot of rhythm guitar was just relying on on a lot of power chords and stuff. Like every rhythmic line here is is kind of interesting, you know. I, I think there's you know some really com- compelling guitar work. Yeah, it's like there's so th- it's like there's two lead guitarists and they they write a song and it's like okay, you play your lead guitar and you play your lead guitar sometimes they are at odds but for the most part they somehow work together but it sounds like two like they could just ditch one guy and he could just play the lead guitar (laughs) riff and that'd be the song yeah it's an interesting sound for sure yeah 
I think the guitar work really just carried me through the the entire album. Um, also, you know, the the bass was much funkier than I than I remember. Yeah, it's pretty funky at times. I, yeah, I like it. So, you know, as I said before, you know, I, I think there's there's some magic here. You know, this album is is good as a whole. I think it's about a sound that they've achieved. It kind of reminds me of like early REM in that, you know, it was more about a sound than songs. Um, and I think other than like the, the two singles, I'm not sure that you have like great songwriting yet, um, but I feel like they would have gotten there, yeah. you know, in, in time. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, this was a college age record for me that just clicked, and I like felt like this was me, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. one of those anno- that annoying shit that guys that age. <laughs> this record really gets me. Um, so yeah, uh, this this you can really connect to. It, uh, it has become considered a a good record, a classic, I think, amongst music fans over the years. I think because of that sound, that throwback sound that is simple and doesn't, it doesn't sound, it sounds dated, but it doesn't sound like the 90s. Right. So you should, uh, you know, if you haven't heard this whole album, you know, no rain, and you like you like a light jam, <laughs> um, check out Blind Melon, Blind Melon. So 120 minutes. MTV, that whole era of of being informed on what you might like or what you might want to listen to from a television station instead of from an influencer or whatever <laughs> they do now. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, I feel like uh, bands like Erasure and even Blind Melon, uh, I, uh, those those two especially, not, not so much for My Morning Jacket because I think that they were on 120 minutes in an era when it was less important mm-hmm. to driving mm-hmm. success. But I think bands like that maybe would have never gotten on MTV if not for these specialty shows like Yo MTV Raps and Headbangers Ball, where they they focused on a particular area of music and and gave those bands a chance to be on the MTV. And that's kind of what I came away. I never really thought about it. It was just a thing that was on sometimes when I was in college, but. That's what I kind of came away with. How about you guys? Yeah, no, I I wish I was had watched it more because I think it would have been really influential for me. I love having that alternative for like underground or independent source of recommendations, and having that like on such a prominent channel as MTV is cool. And I kind of wish we had something like that. I know they brought it back in the two thousands, but we're so segmented now in our musical listening culture, which is necessarily bad. But there's something to be said for having like that central like here's generally what's going on in underground music kind of thing yeah it wasn't truly independent in that you still had to have a record deal and enough budget for a video right and that's what's cool now is you don't need that you can make your own video with your iphone <laughs> yeah right and record your album on your iphone yeah i guess yeah but i was curious how you guys feel about about videos and, and how important 120 minutes was to you because of the videos or was it more about like the exposure and finding the bands? Um, well, I mean, 120 minutes was hugely important to me. Um, if I didn't stay up for it, I, I used to record it every week somewhere in a landfill or, you know, 50 VHS <laughs> tapes, uh, with you mean a recycle on- center that you, uh, <laughs> We oh, might not have been recycling on. in my town recycling at that time. Did not exist. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was hugely important to me and even though I love, you know, how easy it is to access music now, how f- 
easy it is to just, you know, sort of customize my experience. I, I do sort of mourn the loss of, you know, kind of being forced to consume things that I wouldn't have chosen to consume. And that really, you know, broadened my horizons. It's different from just taking recommendations from Tidal or, you know, being, you know, sitting through a video. Yeah, it's a different experience. Well, and it was a, you know, a television used to be more of a community type of thing. You know, where anyone else that watched 120 Minutes that week that you might know, it's like, hey, did you right. see that Buffalo Tom video? Those guys are cool. You know? Yeah, because it all was broadcast at once and you had to call your friends to tell, oh, that thing's on right now. I guess I don't miss the importance of videos. I guess, I mean, I'm more of an auditory person anyway. There were times where I think the visual probably turned me off to, you know, certain certain music you know mm. and well, i think it also had the opposite effect where p things yeah. that maybe weren't that good <laughs> were really popular cool because video. the video was yeah. was yeah. cool or had a lot of bikinis yeah. in it, or, or guys with spray paint going to town on each other <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i gotta find that <laughs> It doesn't come to like the end of the video. Yeah, the, I'm sure. Uh, the, the last yeah, minute. I'm sure, it's worth the wait. Man. It's the climax. And that's one to grow on. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls, it's your favorite time once again. We're going to uh, wind up old Wadbot and let them waddle out here. Give them a spin. Let's see what Destiny has in store for us. Personal growth can come in many forms. Sometimes it is as simple as putting yourself in another's shoes, so to speak. Your musical destiny is to do just that. You will explore albums using the Freaky Friday principle. Freaky Friday, if you're familiar with the film or films, a uh, parent and their child switch places, right? Their brains go into each other's bodies. Right. So we're going to, we're going to have a Freaky Friday where we switch places with each other oh. and we'll pick albums as if we were the other guy. I liked vice versa better. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> Was that like Fred Savage and Judge Reinhold? Uh, yeah, there was a, there was one with Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron oh, yeah. too. I forget what that was called. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so like for example, Don will pick an album pretending he was me, and I'll pick an album yes. pretending I was you. Yes. Okay. Interesting. You've got to experience an album from the perspective of somebody else. I'm okay. a fellow album nerd. What's your favorite memory from MTV? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you for joining us on the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time when we get all confused about who we are. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Rest in peace, David Crosby. That too, too much of a bummer. Yes, it is a bummer. <laughs> and I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs>